0: Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is Friday, it is the 15th of the 10th. Michael, how have you been since Wednesday?
1: I've been fine, Gary, and how are you? I'm good.
0: I'm good. I'm not living life fast enough that a two-day difference is going to make much of a difference.
1: Really? You want to speed up? You want to accelerate, Gary? You want to get some of the juice out? Get going?
0: I didn't understand most of those metaphors.
1: Oh, most of them were probably related to alcohol and cocaine and stuff like that. That does
0: sound like you. Anyway, Kinzen, the company we were talking about... Earlier in the week, I think, actually. They're gone from the Department of Health. They left four days after I reported about some of the uh, things the department or the HSC had been doing. So we want to go through that as well. But to start off with, Michael, I just wanted to give an example of, um, some, you know, some fine corporate work, Michael. Putting the interests of your shareholders above anything and everything else. yes arguably, actually, I'm not not sure they've actually done this properly, and this is about an interesting little story in Reuters, Uh, I'll put a link to it in the bottom of this, about Johnson & Johnson. Now, for those who don't know, Johnson & Johnson has been facing a bit of a legal battle the last while, a substantial legal battle about Tolkien powder. You might ask, how could there be a legal battle about Tolkien powder? What's wrong with Tolkien powder? Many people in America claimed that Tolkien powder had given them cancer, which, on the face of it, sounds kind of ridiculous. Because it's Tolkien powder. People basically bathed in the stuff. And then it turned out that Johnson & Johnson knew that their Tolkien powder could contain asbestos. That made the, um, the lung cancers particularly. Yeah, you can kind of see how that would happen.
1: Yeah, there was, I just want to say, this story has been going on for a very long time. It has, yeah. And when it, when it broke first, I think the general reaction of an awful lot of people was, you what now? You're bringing a class action against Johnson & Johnson because of the dangers of baby talc. Okay. And there was a certain sense, I think, with a lot of people and a lot of the early reporting on this, that this was just another example of how fucked up and mad the American legal system is, and how people could just invent stuff. Then it took a slightly interesting twist where it developed a racial connotation. Because there seemed to be an, a particularly large number of black women or African American women who seemed to be affected by this, and that was confusing. And then there were all sorts of commentaries and investigations you know, that some of it was not very savory, and some of it, frankly, was rather racist. But I discovered, you know, as you read me reading, and you discover all sorts of interesting stuff. There is a cultural thing that talcum powder is more commonly used in the United States these days. By African Americans and particularly by African American women, particularly of a certain age, and they use it very liberally. And this was this was initially, Gary, the defense one of the one of the defenses that Johnson and Johnson used that that these women tended to lash it on in such with such abandon and with such excess that it created clouds of talc in the air. So, in a sense, the 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 talc became aerosolized in a way that wouldn't look it wouldn 't be in its normal correct use, and I, which I think a lot of people were surprised to discover, Gary, that there was a correct use method for talcum powder, just just said there was, and that these ladies particularly were were lashing it on with such gay abandon that they created these clouds in the air, which they then ingested, which caused the problems, however. You mentioned the A word, what nobody seemed to be wanted to talk about was that part of the problem was indeed that wasn't so much the talc, but it was the asbestos in the talc that was causing uh, at least some of the problems. And this has been around since when, Gary?
0: So the Reuters, in 2018, Reuters did an investigation of this. And they were able to show that Johnson Johnson had known that there could be asbestos in some percentage of their baby powders uh, since
1: 1969. 1969? Yes. That's 50-something years ago. And I know that because somebody very close to me was born in 1969.
0: Yeah, so the Reuters report says that um, the FDA was looking to put limits on asbestos in talcum powders in 1976 and Johnson and Johnson told the regulator that no asbestos was detected in any sample of their talcum powder produced between December 1972 and October 1973 however reuters point out it didn't tell the agency that at least 3 tests by 3 different labs from 1972 to 1975 had found asbestos in their powder in one case at levels reported as rather high so They've known about this for a while, and it looks like they consistently lied about it. Or, if they didn't lie, made very particular claims, such as, well, we didn't find it when we tested between these months.
1: But it's a, geez, it's a long time, isn't it? Surely. What I don't get here, Gary, is... Okay, you discover something in your product is not very salubrious, right? Like asbestos. At the time, the guys are coming down your and and they're saying, are you putting, is this, is this shit in your, and you go, no, 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 no. Wouldn't it make sense to fairly quickly ensure, I mean, in fact, immediately ensure, once you became aware that this was stuff was in it, to get it out of it as quickly as you possibly could?
0: Apparently, and this is not something I'm an expert on, obviously, apparently the issue is that there are different forms of asbestos. I think there's six different recognised forms of it, or materials which constitute asbestos and things that make up talcum powder and things that make up asbestos are found in the same places right so it wasn't that everything they produced was contaminated it was that some of it was contaminated and it's just difficult to separate those things
1: so they didn't right so they just, it was just one of those things they just couldn't do it, or they couldn't do it easily, or they couldn't do it cheaply, so they didn't do it.
0: That looks to be the case, but Johnson & Johnson is uh, rejecting everything about this. Modern talcum powders, modern Johnson Johnson uh, products, do not have any asbestos in them, and their safe use has been confirmed by regulatory and scientific bodies. And there may be some historical issues, but... Uh,
1: and these, these, these are these are different regulatory and scientific bodies to the ones that didn't find it in the seventies.
0: Reuters, when they did their two thousand eighteen investigation, did point out that because
1: they're
0: they're just being sued by everyone now. Yeah, as you would imagine, and some of the um, plaintiffs in those cases have hired labs, and those labs have found asbestos in, according to Reuters. More than fifty percent of baby powder from the past uh, decades, including a bottle held in Johnson and Johnson's corporate museum.
1: So, when you say the past decades, I mean, like within the past decade. I mean, how recently are they? And is there any sense from what your what the article? How recently they they claim to have found asbestos?
0: One of the things that Reuters showed was a. Um, a markup of a website. So, what a markup is, is when you are putting together something for corporate use or for external use, people will review it and they will, you know, change it around and say why well, it needs to be changed. Yes. Um, basically, the comments on a Word document, that kind of thing. And this is from 2013. And the initial line was our talk based consumer products are uh, asbestos free, have always been asbestos free and the marco is just we cannot say always
1: <laughs> right <laughs> that's a mm, yeah <laughs> we can't really say always lads that's that would be not quite
0: true I don't, know, I don't think it was the Reuters report, but I was reading um, about them buying a mine in America and apparently being told, and this was, I think, in the 60s or 70s, that um, American mines, there tended to be a risk of a particular type of asbestos. And uh, J&J executives asking, well, how much asbestos is really bad for you? And receiving <laughs> receiving the response, historically, in our industry, the desired amount of asbestos in
1: our products is zero. <laughs> <laughs> I love that phrasing. Historically, in our industry, you know, the, who knows what other people in other industries might have wanted, but historically, in our industry, no asbestos. Right, here's the here's the
0: exact quote from, and this is from uh, a memo to a J and J doctor uh, who had been saying that it was normal to find uh, tremolite, which is a type of asbestos, in US uh, talc deposits. He said J&J should rethink the the mining of it there. Uh, and the line is, historically, in our company, tremolite has been bad.
1: <laughs> bad. That's fairly bald. It would That's seem <laughs> to
0: be prudent to limit any possible content of tremolite to an absolute minimum. Yeah, and that was in 1967. And at Reuters was able to show that in 1967, the... The son of the founder of Johnson Johnson, who was, had been the CEO and had retired, had been expressing concerns about the possibility of the adverse effect of that product on the lungs of babies and mothers. Hmm. So this we don't. This is not actually the interesting part. I just wanted to give people a bit of background in what's been happening here. So Johnson Johnson have been fighting this thing. Their line is there's nothing in their products at the minute. There haven't been for years. There may have been some historical issues. But, like, they were historical issues. It was a different time. Yeah, a different time. What is interesting, though, the story on Reuters at the minute, or Reuters even, if I ever learn to consistently pronounce it correctly, is this. They've lost billions uh, because of this. And there are way more cases coming down the line. But what J&J have done is they have managed to slice off the liabilities uh, of these cases and bundle them into another company and then put that company into bankruptcy. So, Johnson & Johnson have um, acted to protect the financial interests of Johnson & Johnson. Yes. Very much limiting their own liability in this instance, and offloading uh, all of these cases. Now, I'm not sure that's actually the best move for Johnson & Johnson in the long term, because it is uh, an act of massive shite hawkery, <laughs> which may damage... Johnson Johnson's reputation.
1: Yeah, I was just about to say, in the context of other conversations we've had recently, that there may be some reputational damage.
0: Well, I mean, Michael, would you be happy using a product from a company that um, knew that it had a carcinogen in its baby powder for years, didn't tell anyone, and then when faced with the consequences of that, put through a Corporate manoeuvre, which is on the very verge of legal, in order to avoid paying anyone for that. Like, in China, these people would have just been shot.
1: They would have actually been shot, yeah, they would. And we know that because of the baby formula with lead thing. If they were not properly and sufficiently connected, they would have just been shot.
0: And you know what? After this bankruptcy thing, that... Probably was the moral
1: solution to this. <laughs> you're, what you see, you're, you're asking a question which is an abstract question. A company. What you're actually asking? Would I use a Johnson? It still, is a problem. Like, is there an alternative out there to my Johnson Johnson baby shampoo, no more tears formula, which I like to use? Or, frankly, I don't know of anybody who makes talc baby talc like Johnson Johnson with that that price. And then, if you're talking more contemporaneously. Does that mean we wouldn't be able to? You wouldn't take the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, the J and J vaccine. I, I like the shampoo. I like the talc. Do you know what? I, it wouldn't bother me. But I suspect, Gary, I am not the typical consumer. So I think it, it might bother a lot of people. I just think it's bizarre as a notion that you can go to Texas incorporate and then say okay we're going to do this thing which is basically the opposite of a merger but in texas we can call it a merger we're going to put all the good shit over there and all the bad shit over there and the bad shit we're going to declare we're going to bring through uh we're going to put into chapter 11 and file for protective bankruptcy and then we're going to go bankrupt and then there won't be anything left to sue I mean, if that is possible, if it's you, if you can do that, well, then you have to say there's some very serious problems with the bankruptcy code and the com- and company law in the state of Texas.
0: Yeah, they were only able to do this because it's it sounds bizarre to say you can take your liabilities, put them into another company, and then bankrupt the company. Um, but they did a thing which is called a Texas two step. Now, <laughs> the idea. <laughs> The idea behind this has been around for years. Yeah. I remember reading about it years ago, but it's just not something that's done. I think it's happened maybe once or twice before. But it's just, it's so many people consider it to be openly fraudulent that you run the risk of massive reputational damage. Mm-hmm. But what it involves is basically a company will set itself up. It will incorporate into a, a corporate entity in Texas. And then in Texas, you can have what's called a divisive merger. And I think Texas is the only state in America that allows you to do this. Delaware might allow you as well. I'm not sure, but it seems like something Delaware would do. And basically, normally a merger is a combination of two companies. A divisive merger, which Texas allows, splits a company into two, two companies and you can allocate the assets and liabilities of the the parent company as you please so what johnson and johnson have done is they've reincorporated in texas split their company into two and just sent all of the bad things to the other company the name of which doesn't matter in this case let's just call it the bad company
1: it's a bit like the ancient hebrews every year just getting all of the sins of the nation putting them onto this goat and sending it out into the wilderness this is the scapegoat the scapegoat company
0: I wonder if they put anything else into it because
1: you could put (laughs) any any liability (laughs) you had into this thing like an easter egg
0: yeah it was just like you thought we owed you money but we don't good day (laughs)
1: yeah yeah I think you'll find that the bit of the company that owed you money (laughs) has gone bankrupt
0: (laughs) We saw the debt and we didn't like it, so we drove it out.
1: We drove it out. We got a <laughs> into stick the desert. out into the desert with that bastard. We never liked it. I it's it's a it's a solution, Gary. I, I don't know how long free market capitalism would survive. If this was the solution, which was widely practiced, I think the, the notion of contract seems to be fairly undermined by this.
0: I mean, I like I'm I'm as cold blooded a capitalist, Michael, as you're likely to find. And even I saw this and I was like, "Oh, they've actually done it." <laughs> oh, because there there was talk that they were planning this, and there were some. Um, I think the plaintiffs in some of the cases had tried to get a judge to put a stay on it, so they absolutely could not do this, uh, and that failed. But it's a real, like, yes, they saved immediately billions. But the more attention is drawn to this, and the more people go, you know, maybe I don't want to use products from a company which will willfully allow carcinogens into their baby products, and then try and shirk all responsibility for it. That seems like something that could be quite damaging. But then again, the real problem with capitalism, Michael, and the reason that people don't like it, is it reflects the true nature of people. Not what they say they'll do. But what they actually do through their purchasing preferences and most people just don't really give that much of a shit. So, in all likelihood, this is a good move from Johnson & Johnson. They're going to save a ton of money. They're not going to have to accept any liability because they don't have the liabilities. Now they have put some money in Michael to fight the the cases and to to do all of those things into this other company which is now seeking bankruptcy protection.
1: Let's face it, the lawyers the lawyers aren't going to stay on. Unless they've got a guarantee that there's a, there's money to pay them, the
0: real real kick in the teeth here. If you were one of the people who brought a case against Johnson, all those cases have to now go through bankruptcy court.
1: Oh, that's clever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that eats up. Mm. Still, I don't know. I there. Uh, this will be, I'm sure, contested. Uh, it'll be contested. May, it may be contested even within Texas in higher in higher courts on way up Texas Supreme Court. It may go to a federal court and so on. It just seems, on the face of it, while maybe a short-term solution that in the long term is bad for the company and bad for shareholder value, it just, on the face of it, just looks too easy for a a delinquent company to be able to do this kind of thing and just just say, okay, any company that had... As happens often enough, large companies where you end up with one side of your, one bit of your business is just sodden with debt and with no particular possibility. But there is a part of your company which is all lovely and shiny and doing very well. I remember back in, I used to work for Olivetti and Olivetti had developed a telecoms wing, which was absolutely sparkly and fine. But the computers was just this stone around its neck. If de Benedetti had been able to go to Texas and say, OK, we're splitting off this lovely, shiny, valuable piece of thing, which is going to make me billions, and all this stuff over here, which I owe literally billions on, I can hive that off. <laughs> I, why wouldn't you? Ethical standards. Ethical standards. Gary, I love it when you tell these jokes with a straight face. Ethical standards. Aircom. Aircom is a bag of debt, doesn't it? Aircom, I think, is bad. Off to Texas with them. Well, maybe they can't. Maybe they're because they're in Europe. But I think that's an extraordinary story. I think everything about that story actually is extraordinary, Gary. Right from the from the fact that it's about talcum powder all the way down, it's turtles all the way down.
0: It's a real. There's a real sort of tobacco vibe off this.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. Of
0: just yeah, we knew our product caused cancer. What are you going to do about it? Legally, the entity that gave you cancer no longer
1: exists. So, you know, we sympathise. We'll send a card, but there's nothing we can do about it.
0: But my favourite part is that they're putting money into the company that they are um, that they're trying to put through bankruptcy protection uh, to fight the the cases. So it's not even a case that they're admitting anything. That like, no, the company is bankrupt, and we're still going to drag you through court.
1: It's got enough money for that. We've made sure of it. We're going to put enough money to pay the lawyers. Nothing else. We'll pay the lawyers.
0: There's nothing for you if you win.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And even if you win, you won't have won against Johnson & Johnson. You'll won against this fucking scapegoat. And we'll do everything we can to make sure you don't. Because it presumably has the same legal team as Johnson
1: Johnson. (laughs) But they should call it Zombie Inc. or something. Because this is...
0: I think they actually called it something like LTL.
1: LTL. I don't know. Zombies. Some. It's basically a zombie corporation. I mean, it's dead, but it looks like it's keeping, it's just, it's, it's, it's walking. It's moving forward. But the only thing that's keeping it alive are the lawyers that are living inside its skin.
0: I don't know. I think to call this a zombie corporation is to undersell the sheer brazenness of this.
1: There is uh, that wonderful uh, Yiddish word. There's a level of chutzpah here, which is tremendous. Pure old-fashioned chutzpah.
0: Yeah, so I I just wanted to... I I thought that was an interesting case that people should know about. I think it is probably enough evidence that you should reconsider your purchasing habits if you purchase J&J products. I I really don't get the asbestos thing. You would think it would be in your interest... Not to kill your customers.
1: I doubt that line. What was the line? Historically, in our industry,
0: asbestos has been bad.
1: Asbestos has been bad. You know, in, in response to the question, like, well, how much asbestos should we be allowing for? I mean, I mean, what's our tolerance level for asbestos? Well, historically, in our industry, not in other industries, not at other times. Maybe you, know, I, we can't speak, but us. Historically, for our industry, asbestos is bad, you know. Yeah. And like they, they may have known in the 50s, they certainly knew in the 60s. Asbestos, I mean, it like, it, it, the thing about it is it's one of those words, isn't it? Asbestos carries with it immediately. Not, even for people who don't really know what asbestos is, they don't know what it looks like, they don't know what its function or purpose might be. But everybody, if you hear the word asbestos, recognise it carries that sense of poison. Do not touch. Do not inhale. Everybody, oh, that house had they had. Oh, it cost them millions to demand to, to to take that down because it was. They found out it was covered in asbestos. Oh, they can't do anything with that because the roof is asbestos. They can't break it because it's asbestos. Everybody, it's it's one of those. Rare words that carries with this very specific sense immediately. It's like a big black and yellow stripe painted all over it. Asbestos. <laughs> they kept on going. I mean, what could go wrong, Gary, at the end of the day? I mean, okay, there's asbestos, but what could go wrong?
0: That memo where they say traditionally asbestos has been bad. That, yeah. In that memo, that is the earliest memo that um, writers could find in which Johnson & Johnson um, talk about asbestos as a legal challenge. So in, in 1969, they were told they should consult with their company lawyers. It is not inconceivable that we be, could become involved in litigation in relation to this. 1969. Uh, yes. Now, they've stopped selling um, baby powder in America due to what they say is a, an endless uh, assault of misinformation on their product. <laughs>
1: It's just shocking, isn't it, the way the press get hold of these things and, and misinformation and false news and fake news. Yeah, OK, maybe they let a
0: product that may cause cancer in everyone, and including babies,
1: uh, for 40 to 50 years. But who hasn't done that? Yeah, in fairness, I mean, come on. Are
0: you really going to fall out with them over something like that?
1: People are small-minded, Gary. Sometimes they can only see the thing that's directly affecting themselves. They can't see the bigger picture.
0: Yeah, I mean, what were they to do? Find a way to fix it?
1: Stop making it? I
0: mean, come on. Make it out of something else that didn't have asbestos in it? There are people's jobs
1: at stake, you know? I mean, real stuff, real shit.
0: Apparently it is practically impossible to, to ensure there is no asbestos in Tolkien Downer.
1: Yeah, that that doesn't reassure one, does it? About the use of taco it. I have a big uh, thing. Anyway. Hey ho. So Gary, um, you remember you had a story some time ago about a company that was being used by the HSC to sift out and seek out and search out and destroy all sorts of fake news and fake stories about COVID and the pandemic.
0: Yes, yeah, Kinzen. Now, Kinzen, Mark Little and Ann Keir's company. Yes. I hear that the news is not good. Uh, Well, I'm told that um, there is now no longer any relationship between the Department of Health, the HSE, and Kinzen. And that there has not been a relationship since, oh, um, Friday the 8th of October, which would be last Friday, Mm -hmm. which would be... Four days after I published a story about Kinzon. Now the department hasn't said why there's no relationship, Michael. They say that Kinzon's work has been completed. Ah, well.
1: If it's been completed, that's a different story. That's, I mean, that's fine, absolutely. Because the, well, I suppose the pandemic is over, is it? Is the pandemic over? Doesn't feel, doesn't feel over. It has a strong feeling of not over actually at the moment. So I'm kind of surprised that they felt that uh, it was over.
0: Yeah, so uh, that's that's done. Um, no one will answer any questions about why the relationship ended, or anything of that nature. So we can only presume that the work had completed, and there's absolutely no other reason why they may have terminated a contract. I see. Unless, of course, Kinzen were involved in all of the stuff I talked about, and the HSE found it incredibly embarrassing and terminated the contract, effectively firing
1: Kinzen. Ah, yes, well, I suppose that's possible... Seems unlikely, though.
0: I mean, we wouldn't want to, um... We wouldn't want to make any assumptions there, Michael, given Ireland's incredibly strict defamation laws.
1: In Ireland, very, very strict. Very remunerative.
0: Well, also, it's good to be factually correct, and maybe the partnership did just conclude. There was actually a couple of interesting things with Stephen Donnelly's uh, comments on this. Donnelly was responding to a parliamentary question put in by Carol Nolan, based on the story Mm -hmm. that I had written. And he, he... This is interesting. He said that the partnership with Kinzen was procured outside of the normal tendering processing of the department, which is interesting, I think.
1: Outside the normal tendering? Well, what does that
0: mean? Well, normally there would be a procedure in place to tender with an external company. Yes. From his answer, it would appear perfectly reasonable to assume that that was not adhered to. In this particular instance, for
1: some reason. It's hard to imagine why they wouldn't call. I mean, we discussed before. They uh as a as a way of gathering and collating stories. I mean, these people they caught stories that I'm sure many many other collators out there had missed Gary.
0: We have some follow-on questions for Kinsan and the Department of Health and the HSE which I have no doubt they will totally ignore, as they have ignored everything else that we sent in on this. The Department of Health did at least promise to respond and then not respond.
1: It's a busy time, Gary. It's a busy, busy time.
0: The tendering thing, I think, is interesting, and we'll see what we can do on that. But the other thing he said was that Kinzen were paid to monitor the online dissemination of mis- and disinformation related to COVID-19 and COVID vaccines. So Kinsman were paid 78,000 so far. I think they started working with the department in February. So, 78,000 in eight months, nine months. Not bad.
1: Th- that is not bad. I would be very happy with that.
0: Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Monitor the online dissemination of mis and disinformation related to COVID-19 and COVID vaccines. Yes. I've seen some of the kins and reports that they made to the Department of Health. Not all of them, although I currently have FOIs in with the Department of Health, see All, you know, the standards, Michael. Uh, although... Actually, I probably do need to put in a new one as to exactly what was said internally in the department over those four days before the contract concluded. And the problem I have, Michael, is that Kinson's reports don't actually seem to limit themselves to what Stephen Donnelly says they do.
1: In what way? I, uh, what did what What did Stephen say they were doing?
0: Well, mis and disinformation related to COVID nineteen and COVID vaccines.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Clear. Clear, clear.
0: Some of the Kinzon reports talk about things like anti-lockdown protests. Do you remember the stories
1: I published about ISAG? Yes.
0: They got reported by Kinzon. They didn't relate to vaccine misinformation. They didn't relate to COVID-19 at all. Or if anything, they were simply an internal expose of an advocacy organisation that was tangentially
1: related to COVID. Sorry, just a slightly a drive-by shooting here. Did you notice... Um What's that gentleman's name? He's a neuroscientist and a member of ISIC. Do you know what I mean? Thomas Ryan. Did you notice he was uh, being—he was back in the news, back being reported again, and again being reported as an immunologist.
0: Yeah, the Times, uh, Thomas Ryan, an immunologist at Trinity College Dublin, and then they opened with a piece about how an immunologist has said that, well, if we open the country, things are going to go bad, um, despite the fact that Thomas Ryan is not an immunologist. He's a neuroscientist in the School of um, Biochemistry and Immunology.
1: I don't get that. why they keep doing that. Also, was there any mention, did you notice... Was there any reference or mention of the fact that he was in egg?
0: Oh, no, or that he had any position with an advocacy group? No, of course there weren't. Uh, On how that keeps happening, I would imagine, because oftentimes journalists don't really know what they're talking about, and he's in the School of Biochemistry and Immunology, so he's probably an immunologist and... That's how that happens.
1: Well, the immunologist thing I'm... Well, I'm sceptical about, but you know, if we'll give them a pass on that, they can't not know at this stage, Gary. Come on. They, that he's attached or associated with their, uh, Isaac. I mean, if they're writing about this subject, surely to God, that that stretches credulity now to say that they're unaware. And it just... And also, if it was happening sporadically, but it's it's consistent, and it's not just him... It's again and again with other persons involved with that. And it just goes uncommented on. What
0: are you going to do, Michael?
1: I try it. I was about to say I don't understand why. I, un- I believe I understand perfectly well why this happens, but there you go. So anyway, I'm interrupting you there. You're saying that you're, the commentary that you did on Isaac That was reported as...
0: Yeah, so that got picked up. So that's not anything related to COVID misinformation or vaccine scepticism. But on that, they also say that they're talking about COVID sceptics or COVID S-E-K-P-T-I-C's, which I assume is just a horrendous misspelling, uh, and anti-lockdown commentators, which again are not related to COVID vaccines or disinformation related to COVID-19. So we'll put in more FOIs on that to get the exact contract that they had with the department, or as close to it as we can. And I'm very interested to see if it's actually as limited as Stephen Donnelly says it is.
1: Yeah. I would suspect it's not, Michael. Well, on the face of it, that would be a I think that would be a reasonable suspicion, but uh, we should wait and see. Weirdly enough, this
0: is not the the only time something related to ISAG came up in the HSE's misinformation work. There are a number of tweets which they reported as misinformation, which didn't relate to COVID-19 or vaccines or anything like that, but were uh, personal comments, generally quite abusive, but personal comments about uh, members of ISAG.
1: So abuse was listed as... As fake news? Yes. Or misinformation? That's curious.
0: Dangerous misinformation about COVID-19 and medical facts. I just thought it was interesting. That it would appear
1: in the HSE's uh, database. Yeah, that is curious.
0: Someone from a more reputable journalistic outlet should ask the HSE about it.
1: You mean someone that might get an answer?
0: Someone that might get an answer,
1: yeah. Mm, then again, would they get this? an answer? Is all very well, a truthful answer at whole.
0: Yeah, well, you'd be surprised how far you can get with the HSE f- refusing to talk to you at all. So, anyway, Kinzen are out there. We'll see if they get back in. Uh, I have developed a bit of an interest in Kinzen, I must say, Michael these past few weeks looking at them yeah I think I'm going to keep looking at them for a while bit of a hobby yeah I mean particularly after they troitskied um, the third co-founder how so well if you go into Kinzen there's a particular photo which has the two co-founders of Kinzen but I saw it and I was like I've seen that photo before and it was was different and I went and I found it in like a copy of the Independent from years ago and there's not two co-founders of Kinzen there's three
1: ah What's the phrase? He's been wormholed, memory hold. memory hold, yes.
0: So the full photo, what they've done is they've cropped the photo to remove the third founder and removed all mention of him from their website. But there was assuredly a third founder. So I've been trying to reach out to him, you know, because I assume if they're doing that that it didn't end terribly well. You know, I'd just like a chat with him.
1: I see what you mean about trying right? For initially, I, I thought, I was wondering if you meant that they'd stuck a, an ice pick in his ear but that which was that would be really quite a story.
0: I think I'd pull back from Kinzen if that was their sort of behavior. <laughs>
1: If that was their modus operandi, you might start saying, Maybe I won't do so much commentary about this. I'm not I'm not that <laughs> dedicated to breaking news. No. <laughs> no, I think we could all appreciate that, that really. That there are certain ways you know, there's so far but so far but no further. But uh, you know, doctoring a photograph is perhaps a little less intimidating. But you know, if businesses did that kind of thing it'd them, 'em it'd make the business section of the or the papers one of your go to sections, wouldn't it? See who's <laughs> been knocked off. If everybody conducted business like the Mafia, mm. I bet ton- I bet Michael O'Leary would be good at it. Mm. <laughs> Can you imagine Michael O'Leary giving you, ringing you up and saying, tonight you'll sleep with the fishes? You'd believe him, wouldn't you?
0: So, Eric, Kinsner gone. Um, work is completed. Everything is fine. Let's ask no further questions. Yes, very good. But it's a very interesting company, I think. It's a very small fish in, in this kind of anti-misinformation ocean. But it's quite interesting. It's very well connected.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, one of the co-founders, Anne Kerr, is married to Aidan O'Riordan, formerly very high up uh, Facebook. Then, of course, you've got Mark Little. So you've got the Storyful Connection, obviously former RTE. Um, I still don't actually know what Kinzen does because everything I have read about them that they have put out or that they are involved with is so jargon filled. That it makes no sense at all. It, it's not possible to actually tell what what the company actually does. What on a practical level, how anything they do works.
1: It's it's genuinely that bad at sort of jargon speak and cliche lang that you 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 actually can't work out what they in practice do.
0: I, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you um, a bit, Michael from Mark Little's bio on... He's a member of a, you know, one of those groups where you can pay someone to come and speak at your event, okay? I'll put a link to this because it's all worth reading. And then imagine an entire company put together in this language. In everything he does, Mark questions perceived wisdom. It's all about flattening the disinformation curve so people think differently and get the facts they need to make better, bolder decisions. Possessing the right knowledge also makes innovation and risk-taking a game everyone can play, helping to democratise leadership and make accountability part of our DNA. As a speaker, Mark brings energy, gravitas and currency to an event. His incisive thinking and broad worldview make him an agile chairman and a versatile keynote speaker who can command a room with ease. Measured and pragmatic, yet with a rare ability to think on his feet, he understands the difference between information and knowledge in an era where data and fake news threaten to overwhelm us. Wow! And I read Kinzen's website, and my initial thought was, "I'm curious if the Department of Health knows internally how their systems work and has any capability to understand if it's working well."
1: Well, I suppose first, what metric would it be? What what? measurement. Well, you could be stupid and you could
0: use something like the amount of disformation they find, which would be bizarre and um, absolutely moronic to use, and therefore perfectly within the wheelhouse of the department.
1: Right, okay. That's reasonable, I suppose. Um, I don't... Can I ask it, can, well, what may be both an obvious and a stupid question? What was the purpose of this being done in the first place? Uh, what? What was the advantage of what What benefit accrued to the HSE and to the Irish taxpayer for having done this?
0: Do you want the given reason or what I think the actual result was?
1: Well, A and B. We'll start with A and then go on to B.
0: So the given reason was that they wanted to be able to keep up to date with misinformation and the type of messages that were popular amongst those opposed to vaccine take-ups, COVID sceptics, so that they could respond more effectively to that and that they could then... um tailor their own messages to counteract those arguments effectively.
1: Now, could that not have been achieved by having a boy checking into Twitter for half an hour every day? Yes, would be the answer. Because... If you, and I've had this discussion with people before, they say, ah, oh, no, but you'll miss this, and you miss that, and you won't find, but if you're missing stuff, then it's not popular, and it's not a problem. If it, the only thing you need to address or engage is stuff which has caught the imagination, and if you have, if you, in this area, if you follow the right accounts, genuinely, half an hour on Twitter will tell you what the current notion is that's going around the gaff. That you have to respond to.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean that that would be a compelling argument, but uh, not apparently compelling enough. And yeah, you can say that a company like Kinzen could be very helpful to you, but it's difficult to see, looking at we know what we know of their output, how exactly this enriched the public service. Now, as I said, if I get once the FOIs get back to me, it may be that Kinzen did Trojan work internally, and the department just couldn't handle it or just didn't do it appropriately. Nothing I've seen from Kinzen seems terribly technologically innovative. Nothing is even really cutting edge. It's all, it appears to be a very basic, bog standard style of system, largely based on uh, keywords, phrasing, and possibly human oversight. Their their website says that their 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 system is powered by a unique blend of human judgment and artificial intelligence. And just as a general point, on anyone who's shopping for anything, at the point anyone tells you artificial intelligence is involved, uh, they have gone just entirely into the realm of jargon. None of this stuff constitutes artificial intelligence.
1: So that's A is the I got the answer to A, but answer B. What do, what is why do they do this? If that's not the stated reason why they did this. No, no, they probably did it for the stated reason. They would trust their expertise, their competence, their capacity to get a job done, and to understand the job that needed to be done, which is sometimes the trickiest part of a program for something in in government.
0: I mean, I would suggest that the end result has been deeply embarrassing for the HSE and the Department of Health. But, I mean... Mainstream Irish media has been kind enough not to report on it, so it's only embarrassing in very limited circles.
1: Yeah, but Gary, even if this has been reported from everybody, from the Kerryman through the Examiner to the Donegal Democrat, are you not perhaps overstating the capacity that the HSE has for embarrassment? I mean, if the HSE was going to be embarrassed by a story like this, Surely it would have basically expired with shame from half a dozen other stories. I mean, I don't think the HSE embarrasses.
0: You mean like when they, uh, let's see, what's a good one? Oh, yeah, like when they put out the the system to prioritize vaccination of frontline healthcare workers and put absolutely no safety uh, systems in place, not even a password. So it was entirely open to any member of the public. Who managed to get access to the URL and that came out effectively meaning that by the time it came out the HSE could not stand over the fact that it vaccinated any members of the health service and may have in fact vaccinated massive amounts of the public because I happen to know that URL was in very wide circulation. Oh yes. You mean that, and the the thing that Paul Reid
1: should have had oversight over, and should have been sacked for? You mean that that kind of thing? Or I mean, if you wanted to be even more nasty and per- pernickety, because that was a, you could say there was a good faith attempt to make sure that people on the front line were, and other people, bad people, got hold of that uh, link and clicked on it and and went on and got vaccinated, even though they weren't connected. You could argue, Gary, that. You might be embarrassed by saying that only the frontline workers are being vaccinated, but because you can't make any kind of internal discrimination, actually, people that were in an office block in Athlone or Mullingar or wherever and never went into a hospital or never went near a patient, but basically just the admin work, they fell under the category of frontline workers and they got uh, early early vaccination before categories of vulnerable people because you couldn't work out a way of deci- deciding who actually was a frontline worker and who wasn't um i mean we don't want to talk about i mean say say we don't want to talk about things like say the children's hospital because let's face it nobody's interested in that it's only all oh, cranks and curmudgeons that keep insisting on talking about the, the the Children's Hospital or, for example, the fact that, uh, while technically speaking, it was announced as a policy of the HAC that anybody could request uh, five free uh, counselling sessions or psychotherapeutic uh, uh, appointments from their GP that if you actually do that the average wait time to get the first one is, well, if you, on, this is based not on scientific, but uh, shall we say, on uh, anecdotal or personal experience, that the wait time to get those appointments will be somewhere between 18 months and two years. These things might be considered to be embarrassing. How we best
0: we stop at some point? Because this could just keep going.
1: This could keep going very long time. Uh, yes, I think I, I think we should take the point. We shall be back on Sunday. And uh, hopefully as we close getting closer to the 22nd we're not allowed to call it freedom day by the way gary it's 22nd october we have been told very definitely is not freedom day it's um so it's not the abolition of serfdom it's maybe just the easing down of serfdom's laws but anyway the day approaches as does sunday and we shall be back on sunday to talk to the nice people until then mind yourselves all the best